0: welcome to the 100 master coaches series featuring master coaches from around the world let's journey together on this 100 master coaches series with your host coach mel mcc with over 20 years of coaching experience claire norman is highly sought after by other expert coaches as well as successful coach training companies as a master mentor coach Claire looks to continually sharpen individuals' coaching edge and upskill mentor coaches so they can deliver high-quality feedback to their coaches in development. Her laser focus on mindset shifts and her knack for spotting marginal gains has made her a go-to person for coaches looking for mentorship and practical, meaningful ways to improve their practice. Now onto the show.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the 100 Master Coaches Show. This is Coach Mal, and today on the show, my special guest all the way from the New Forest, of england she's none other than claire norman please give your round of applause to her welcome to the show
2: thank you so much mel yes and and for the benefit of those who don't know the new forest is a national park and we have ponies roaming wild (laughs) we have pigs roaming wild at this time of year to pick up the acorns that are poisonous to the ponies we have donkeys they're all along the roads, so there are often pony jams. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be in a hurry when you live in the New Forest.
1: There you go. That's why it's probably called the New Forest because the jams are with ponies. That's yeah. that's new. That's new for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well welcome once again and thank you so much. It was you know a couple of months I would dare say or perhaps more than a couple of months since the first time I I met you and we've been both busy with different things and it's so so nice to finally get to have a chat with you today.
2: Yes and you too Mal. I feel like we resonated when we first met so this is going to be a great podcast.
1: Thank you. I believe so too. You know, um, love to know a little bit about Claire before we jump in about the work that you're doing, obviously in the coaching realm.
2: Well, uh, so it was 2001 that I started my coaching journey, and the what what hooked me into it was mm. I was heading up uh, our leaders of all levels strategy in the organization that I worked for. And I was noticing how people were having these aha moments in our training programs. Mm, mm. But then they got back to work and they just went back to their old habits. And so I was looking around for ways to transfer the learning out of the classroom and into the real world. And coaching was one of the things that I stumbled across back then. And so that's when it all began. That's when the love affair with coaching began. <laughs> um, so I was inside the organization at the time. I mm. was coached off to the side of my job for about 14 years internally. So I wow. have that background, an internal coach, before I then became an external coach about ten, nearly 10 years ago. No, is mm. that right? Nine years ago. I've lost mm. track. Nine years ago. <laughs>
1: it's all right we often do lose track especially when things are going so well (laughs) yeah congratulations you know 14 years inside the company having a different mindset obviously from before coaching and and after Mm -hmm. when you got coached yourself and being exposed to coaching rather Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and just being able to lead that bit right having that that experience of creating perhaps some sort of coaching culture in, in the organization so tell us a little bit about yeah that.
2: yeah so it was um it was hard work because the, <laughs> the organization wasn't really ready for it mm. um it, it was quite a command and control kind of organization paternalistic yeah. um and it had a long way to go and um You know, so it was a slow, slow, pushing water uphill kind of journey to um, continue to um, change the mindset of the leaders within the organization. Um, One thing I did find was that the younger leaders were really craving for Mm. more of using more of a coach approach with the people that they led. And so they were definitely on board um so I I wrote a blog for many many years internally and at one point my people page which was the equivalent of my you know LinkedIn profile my <laughs> internal LinkedIn yeah. profile like I had more hits on my profile than our CEO did because people <laughs> yeah. were desperate to learn more about mm. how do I use uh, more of a coach a Approach. I mean, they weren't they weren't coaching, yeah. but they were using more of a coach approach with the people that they uh, were working with to to try and harness the engagement, harness yeah. the motivation, um, and draw out the best in their people. Uh, mm. So I am really proud of that. Um, albeit, it, when when I was thick in it, it felt like the slowest. Mm. Cult change ever Um, but just as I was leaving uh, the organisation set up a a coaching function Um, so I knew at that point oh great there are you know the organisation has properly bought into this now if they are willing to fund uh, an internal coaching organisation
1: there you go You, you heard it on this show right Sometimes in some companies, it takes 13, 14 years of hard work, pushing water up the hill before something happens. And it's just so amazing. To to me, that sounded like a testament of the hard work that you've put through the years, Claire. And to a point, yeah, I mean, it is. And then to a point when... When things were changing and, and obviously people were shifting, new managers, new younger people were coming into the organizations and, and a little bit more open in their mindsets. And that's when things kind of worked together, right? And yeah. and came together. Right. So yeah. I definitely else?
2: think that's where I learned to be patient and persistent, which has mm. served me well. As an external coach, you know, selling my services, patience and persistence (laughs) go such a long (laughs) way.
1: Yeah, definitely. What made you take the jump from that of 14 years, uh, building that internally and then saying, hmm, now it's time for me to get on my own horse and ride into my own journey ahead?
2: Well, it's a really funny story because um, when I first got the job at that organization, which was some years before even the the coaching started, um, apparently the reason I got the job was because I knew or I was very clear about what I was going to be doing within three to five years and I was Mm -hmm. going to be running my own company. So they gave me a job even though I said in three to five years I'm going to be running my own company. Okay. Then I then I and I said that. And the person who recruited me, every time he ran into me in the corridor, he said, Oh, you're still here then. You're not running your own company yet. <laughs> <laughs> so we used to have a, a good laugh about that. Yeah. Um yeah. because actually um I'm fairly risk averse as mm. it turns out. Okay. And so I didn't want to take that jump. Um and you know, it just felt safer. I had a salary, I had good, you know, all the stuff that you have yes, that goes along lot um, an employed role. Yeah. And um, e- even in the times when I was a bit, f- or more than a bit fed up, fed up, <laughs> um, or ready for a change, yeah. I didn't quite have the courage to go for it. Um, so it actually took me being pushed out. Um, so my job was made redundant. And even at that point, it it didn't twig with me, or maybe it did, but I didn't have the courage to, to mm. immediately say, right, this is it, I'm setting up my own company. Mm. took me um, about six months to recognise that the jobs that I was applying for were... Um, things that I had done 10 years ago, yeah. the, the organisations, um, well, I had some feedback from one of the recruiters to say, Claire, you're just too innovative. <laughs> These companies can't, you know, they can't handle somebody as innovative as you. And I don't yeah. say this boast, but yes. the organisation I worked in was incredibly innovative. And that was the expectation of us. And And so I couldn't see myself going back into an organisation where I would have to do all the stuff that I had Mm. you know it wouldn't have been a stretch for me so it was at that point that the penny dropped that said well if you want to be innovative then you're going to have to set up your own company so that you can innovate in the way that you want (laughs) to and so that's what I did about um four months after I left the organization I set up my company in January 2015
1: oh well done well done (laughs) and it's always a great bold move that you know each of us have in our journey and what mine was if I remember 2010 when I told Mm -hmm. the family that time I was living in Melbourne and I still am right now but I said let's go back to Malaysia (laughs) and they're like what What's this about, (laughs) right? And we did. That was like the the push, right? If we didn't probably go back to Malaysia at a point of time, I don't know whether I would have jumped into coaching. I was Mm. an internal coach for a couple of years, just like you. Yeah, it took a bit of courage, to say the least. And I guess for you, right? And then what happened? After that, setting it up, what was the couple of ideas that you had to kind of kick off your organization?
2: well um i think i was networking in the wrong places <laughs> so this you know this is a um a real learning for me that i share with other people is figure out where mm. people hang out who are your buyers and um so it took me quite a long time of a bit of trial and error of going yeah. to networking events and realizing mm, my buyers are not here yeah. um so i needed to um figure that out i now that i sell more to coaches than to organizations that i know exactly where coaches hang out that's <laughs> that's really easy to find coaches yeah. um and I still don't know that I have particularly f- figured out where leaders hang out or where the buyers of coaching for corporates hang out. Mm. Um, but luckily, I'm at a point now, so many years in, that I get referrals and word of mouth. So I don't yes. have to go networking in the same way. <laughs> yes. um, but one of the things that I innovated on was, the mental coaching lock-in that I um, still facilitate today, yeah. and that idea kind of came out of a couple of things. One, I wanted to be mental coaching, and I wanted to be doing group mental coaching, and I had been doing group mental coaching as an associate for another organisation. Um, but also in conversation with a a friend and colleague, she she was r- running something around supervision that was kind of retreat-like and so I took some of her ideas and the way she had structured it and I made it into this lock-in and the reason it's called a lock-in well people in the UK would know a lock-in as being locked into a pub after hours Um, it's not there's no alcohol involved in my (laughs) lock-ins But um, you know how people procrastinate so much on the paperwork, the admin side of getting mm. their credential. And so I wanted to bring together both the mental coaching piece, but also time for people to um, get their paperwork done in a supportive, nurturing mm. uh, environment, uh, retreat-like. So, um that was yeah, that was one of the first innovations that I uh created. Mm. Uh was the mental coaching lock-in where people can have the mental coaching and they have the time to really break the back of that paperwork, which stops so many people from going for credentialing.
1: Yeah. That's innovative because um I didn't get to do my paperwork. I took a different route. I, I kind of asked my spouse. <laughs> <laughs> And say, would you like to help me, darling? You know, be really nice. Um, I'm busy doing the coaching. Could you help me with the Excel sheet?
2: very so lucky. Just...
1: Yeah, she had access to my diary for years, right? It just went back on. And I said, you know, you could go into the diary and just pull things out. You like to problem solve, don't you? This is a <laughs> problem you can solve. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Isn't that in, in, innovative?
2: <laughs> it's, it's detail orientated. That's a good way to use her strengths. <laughs> Absolutely right.
1: That's what we're yeah. trying to do: identify yeah. strengths, work with them. Right. <laughs> but I love the idea of the lock in because you're right. There's this thing called procrastination and whatever we have, it's scapegoat, whatever we call it. Right. We kind of blame everyone and everything around us and. We don't get things done, even as a coach. <laughs>
2: even as a coach, yes. You would think that we would know how to get over that procrastination. Nah, hunky, but,
1: no, uh, we're just normal human beings. There's nothing special yeah. about us.
2: No, we right. are human
1: beings. <laughs> well, one of the things I really love um, about your language, and I'll be talking about your book really soon, but the language that comes out of the book is how you describe the coaches as thinkers right so i would like to explore that for a bit right you know obviously i've heard that before but for those who are hearing it for the first time claire has a special way of describing the thinker right and i would just love to hear where that came about you know when you address our wonderful coaches as thinkers this came from
2: nancy klein's work she talks about Mm -hmm. thinkers in the thinking environment So I can't take credit for it. Uh, It is all Nancy's. But I feel like if we call them the client, we're setting up this um, Mm.
1: uh,
2: consumer mentality. They become the consumer. Uh, They're they're buying a service. It's a, um, yeah, it becomes a service orientation. Mm. And, uh, you know, you'll notice in the markers that we talk a lot about partnership. And so if we are partnering, that's very different from providing a service Mm. uh, where there's a very different kind of power dynamic. So it's really important that we don't, I I think it's important that we don't set up that power dynamic. The other um, word that some people use to describe them is the coachee. And that's quite diminutive, so it makes them out to be small, and (laughs) we definitely don't want them to be small either. Because again, we have this, we then have this power dynamic. We have this size size difference between me and them, and so um, I've chosen to use the thinker. I still don't think it's the perfect word because um, thinking involves the brain. It's Mm. very cerebral. Yeah. it's um in you know the intellectual that's what we think about when we think about thinking is using the brain and yet in coaching we have so much wisdom in our bodies in our in our feelings in our emotions in our sense our other senses yes and um so ideally i wish i could come up with another term like thinker but that captured all of the wisdom that is in that person, um, wisdom maker.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't know. That just sounds too much like a wizard, though. <laughs> they think <laughs> I would go Harvey and call them a wisdom maker, but a sense maker. Um, you know, that's that's the person we um, most need to en- entice out of them. Mm. The sense making. That's what they're there for: is to make sense of their own life. Yeah. Their own needs, their own choices. And so um, maybe sense maker is an even better mm. term for them, other than thinker. You know, my thinking is, my sense making is always evolving. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Maybe in the next book, I might call them the sense maker or
1: or something else. Well, my version of that is a couple of them. Uh, One of the thought is that's the reason why my organization is called Catalyst, right? Because, in a sense, they are the catalyst of their own lives, right? Uh, That's one side of it. And then when you're talking about the sense, uh, I have this quote that says that people are meaning making machines I call mm. them triple m's because okay. that's what we do every single moment we're attaching meaning to everything every story every person everything every experience we're just attaching those meanings mm. and of course those meanings come with thoughts and emotions and all of that it could be a mix of that sense and that meaning making yeah. so interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much, Claire, for sending me your book. Welcome. Um, this is Claire's book. If you can see it here, The Transformational Coach. Um, it is a must-get book for every coach out there. Don't worry, I don't get any proceeds by saying that. <laughs> I, and again, I don't I don't often say things about about books out there, but this is a book that I will, I believe, go into deeper and deeper every time I, I may be, you know, stuck with one one sort of a thinking stop. You broke this book out into that seven areas yes. or seven different mindsets that we have to move away from and go towards this. So the first one is the mindset we learn as parents or from our parents. Uh, the mindset at school, the mindset from our peers, mindset at work, my, mindsets um, we learn from managers, mindsets from our own coach training. And finally, the mindsets we learn from our coaching experience, right? And what we need to discard to, to kind of get into that masterful coaching. So many nuggets that I've been, you know, already getting from just going through it in a speed read because I do speed read by the way. <laughs> even that I've been highlighting this book like forever, right? So so well done.
2: And and it really means a lot that even a master coach such as yourself is still learning from well, le- learning from whatever is in front of you, but that there's something in this book for everybody, every coach no matter which stage of their journey they're at yeah. and, and in fact sometimes yeah. we we have been coaching for so long that we actually <laughs> don't realize what mindsets we have um taken on and embedded yeah. within ourselves which are perhaps not the most useful mindsets to have because mm. mindset of course informs skill set yeah and so um it's one thing to focus on brushing up our skill sets but if we still hold on to the old unhelpful mindset then we'll end up slipping back to the old unhelpful skill set as well so that's why starting with mindset is so crucial and Mm. recognizing some of these mindsets that I have been hidden for years hidden in plain sight maybe um but things that we have learned on our journey of life which were useful at the time and they were well-meaning uh (laughs) but they're not so useful in our coaching world Mm, mm. uh, for the thinkers themselves
1: absolutely Mm. um i'd love to go to the place where this was birthed i'm sure you've got that reason why you compiled this together i know there are interviews as well from the wisdom of about 20 plus coaches yeah of course your own thoughts into this as well So tell us how that that journey started for this book.
2: So um, I I said earlier that that the book that came before this one, Mental Coaching, A Practical Guide, was um, all about mental coaching, obviously, as it says in the tin. And uh, as a result of all of the mental coaching that I had done, observing other coaches as they were coaching Mm. and giving them feedback i was noticing so many of these mindsets that were Mm. getting in people's way uh so it was those things that were stopping people from being the best coach they could be or from embracing a particular uh, pcc marker let's say yeah um there was stuff stopping them from it from displaying those competencies that the ICF is looking for. And so I found that in mental coaching more and more I was um helping people to identify the mindset shifts mm. that they needed to make in order to make the skill set shift. Um, and so that's where this book really came from was just noticing all of this stuff behind the skills uh and uh realizing that we've got to get this out there because Mm. it's not enough to focus on the competencies the competencies are are great don't get me wrong but if a coach hasn't worked on their mindsets first then they're not going to be able to consistently display those competencies they might end up displaying them for the purposes of a recording that they submit but then after that they'll be like oh well I can go back to my old way of doing it no that's not the point (laughs) the point is to change for good and so therefore the mindsets need to shift first so that's where it came from was all of the observation that I was doing in mental coaching Mm. um, and really starting to see these glimmers of oh that's interesting what what is it that is causing you to uh, take that route rather than this route?
1: Yeah, um, and, and you know, when you're saying that, it made me think about um, the people I've worked with as well. So I also work with coaches uh, to the school, and I noticed that similar to what you have noticed, uh, I just probably didn't write a book on that one, and you did. So that's that's fantastic, right? Um, They bring everything of themselves in it. And as much as we say, bring yourself into the coaching session, right? Appear as that unique self of yours, Mm -hmm. right? Don't, don't, you don't need to appear as this made up self of yours, if you know what I mean, right? It's one of that, I got that from here as well, similar. But if we bring too much of that mindset, Right. That we've been conditioned by where maybe in school or, or in a previous workplace, we've, we've we've looked at a manager who perhaps had, had had good relationship with us. And that's why we adopt certain things. Right? Because it worked, it worked in that yeah. environment. It worked for that particular situation. And maybe it could work in this as well. And so we bring things along our journey. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it suddenly appears in what we're doing. Right, even even through our coaching. So yeah, I, I totally resonate with that because I, I've seen that happen and how this needs to be, I wouldn't say addressed, but needs to be taken into consideration, into that awareness, into yeah. often say into our peripherals, so that we like, ah, it's it's coming up, eh? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. It's something about becoming much more conscious to those mindsets and questioning them and thinking is this serving is this of benefit to the person that I'm working with yeah. um, or how could it be of even more benefit if I were to shift to a different belief or mindset mm. um, which would then shift the skill sets that follow uh, so making those mindsets much more conscious, much, you know, bringing them out into the open and questioning them, looking at them and thinking, ah, uh, yeah, I hadn't realised that this was, this had become part of who I am. Yeah. I'm just going to question it. And it might be that in the questioning it, we say, yes, that's absolutely the um, the best mindset in this situation. But equally, um, there were 83 mindset shifts (laughs) in that book so there are a lot of things that we may have um, just instilled in ourselves or not we have but through the messages that we've heard from parents and teachers and managers and coach training that have you know subliminally sunk in (laughs) and we need to make them whatever the opposite of subliminal is, make them more obvious to ourselves so that we question them.
1: Yeah, I you know. Sometimes we don't question them because we, we believe it works. Right. Or We've been, we've been told so many times that this is the way it's, it's just like in organizations that I've been in and you've been in and organizations that we're probably working with in partnership, they have a certain culture already. And it's not about just throwing it out, you know, baby and bath water together. It's not about that because some things are working for that particular organization. So the culture is not particularly broken. It's just that there are tweaks and shifts that needs to be made in different aspects of it. Mm. like for example in the area of communication or open communication right the area of am i able to to allow my voice to come out
0: yeah
1: and of course in in those important areas like diversity inclusivity these days right so mm. all of that is coming together meeting with the new needs of people that's what makes this a beautiful meeting place, yeah. and and obviously with that there will be a lot of friction happening because uh, there, there are different schools of thoughts and concepts of what worked, what used to work, what can work, what can potentially be better at 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 helping us grow as a company, and so on and so forth. Uh, in your experience, Claire, when you, when you've got this meeting place of all this differences what will be some of the (laughs) initial levers stepping in to kind of say hey we can't go about changing everything maybe there's a couple of things we can look at first within the Mm. organization and culture
2: yeah well it's a long time since i've worked inside an organization for you know culture change wise yes but what i see from the outside as Mm -hmm. a coach is how there are there are some organizational cultures where the system is is really stopping the individuals Mm -hmm. with whom i work from doing their best work and so those individuals can't see can't see any way that they can make changes, mm. you know, the, the, the system has kind of crowded in on them. And so they're like, well, I, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. So more and more often I'm encountering people in organisations who are feeling this sense of, um, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do. And I find I find that really, really tough to yeah. be in um partnership with yeah. those individuals and so there's something about and by the way this came out of a supervision session that I had uh, a few weeks ago um because I was starting to feel that sense of helplessness mm. and hopelessness as well as the coach wow. I was catching it and um and, th- and this is why super- supervision is so very important <laughs> for us as coaches. Um, but there's something about us moving away from coaching being seen as the thing that can create big changes for an individual. And sometimes it can, but actually it's not all about that massive change. It's also... Um, and in these circumstances, about helping people to see, to, to find the glimmers of light. Mm. What are the small things that they have control over? Yeah. What are the, um, what's the, what's the one first step that they could be taking? So rather than it being, right, I'm going to conquer the world, It's what what can I do in my sphere of influence? Uh, What can they do in their sphere of influence? And helping them to recapture that sense of agency, which, you know, they wouldn't have got to where they are today without that agency, but they've, you know, been worn down. And so our job as coaches, I, I think in those circumstances is to, enable them to to refine those glimmers of hope for themselves yeah. um, and little by little be making um the the impact that they can make in that organization yeah.
1: thank you there's obviously no one answer one solution for this right so um, what, what you shared is it's just beautiful because the leader in particular has influence. And sometimes along the way, they have just lost the zeal or the zest for it. Yeah. Um, True that allowing them the space to think through that, to have that new shift within themselves first, whatever that is, can help them with that one thing, that one step. That is Mm. within their influence and they know it is part of what they can um, catalyze forward.
2: Yes, there's that catalyst word again.
1: There you go. And you know, when I was reading, you know, the chapter, uh, you you have different shifts. So you have 83 of them. It kind of showed me that coaching is very counterintuitive to the Mm. things that we're we're yeah. so used to. Right. It's like that's one way. We're not often saying this is the wrong way and this is now the right way, but that's one way that we've been accepting as one set of truth. And perhaps there is another way. Right? And that's what this is all about. Right. And and I guess through the years I've I've realized that, that that coaching in an organization setting, this even in the culture sometimes is it's a counterintuitive way of doing things, of being, of empowering, of whatever it is, it's often the reverse of what we're we're so used to in our systems.
2: Yes, yes. Because for for so long we've been ingrained in a in a different kind of culture and it takes it takes a long time to <laughs> start to see oh maybe that isn't the best way maybe there are other ways and to um take other people along with us as well
1: mm. yeah you know claire I, if there's a wish that i'm not i'm, I'm not the genie don't worry <laughs> if there's a wish that you can wish for coaching for its future what would that wish be
2: oh you sprung that one on me <laughs> um mm. my, my wish would be for more reflective practice mm. to be integrated into the the way that we are um so reflective practice in terms of mental coaching and supervision and of course I would say that because those are two of the things that I offer so I am biased I recognize that but also the slowing down to Mm. think about these things that have become so integral to who we are and how we live our lives and 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 um, so not rushing on to the next Thing on our to do list, and the next thing, and and I say this as much for myself to hear as well as for other coaches. Same. Um, but the the um, the real necessity for us as coaches to um, ponder mm. about this, this craft of ours. Um, I mean, I think there is some science to it, but I I think it is more of a craft, an art. And so when something is an art, um, there's a uniqueness in the way I show up compared to the way you show up, compared to the way somebody else shows up. So who who is it that I wish to be as a coach? Um, who do I wish to be for the world? Um, so not just asking these questions when we... Um, uh, you know, take a break and go off on holiday and perhaps we're lying on a sunbed or walking up a mountain or whatever and we have time to process these things. But but somehow integrating this mm. into mm. our ha- habits, our daily habits, um, so that we have that time to reflect on who we are because who we are is how we coach
1: Thank you thank you. That is beautiful
0: Thank
1: you. Any last thoughts as we come to the close of this session with each other Thank you so much once again for your for your time and
2: well thank you and thoughts. thank you for inviting me and thank you for the stimulating questions. There's certainly some things percolating in my head now um, that I want to go away and write about. I'm always writing and I'm always on the lookout for there's something I can I can write about. I suppose, therefore, what I would say to anybody who's listening, if Mm. we are not already connected on LinkedIn, I would love to have people connect with me there. Please tell me that this is where we met in inverted commas, (laughs) Um, because that helps me to have some context as to. Uh, you know, maybe what was useful about this podcast. Um, But yes, that that would be my final words. I love to connect with coaches.
1: Well, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your sharing, for your insights. And of course, for the book, The Transformational Coach. It's a gift to the world and not just for coaches, but to the world to kind of show them the, the beauty of the counterintuitive ways that we can live and be as a human being as well. So thank you once again, Claire, for being on the show.
2: Thank you, Mel. Take care, everyone.
1: This has been the 100 Master Coaches Show today with Claire and myself, Mel, saying take care wherever you are, stay safe and continue to coach out there. Take care. Bye for now.
0: you have been watching the 100 master coaches series with your host coach mel mcc brought to you by catalyst coach www.catalystcoach.live we will be right back with our next master coach on the 100 master coaches series